Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through your word. And we pray now that as uh, we read these words that uh, your spirit uh, has um, uh, given your apostles, uh, well the apostle John, to write down, bringing to remembrance what Christ himself has said. We pray that same spirit will be working in our hearts, um, that we might obey Jesus uh, and have the a mindset uh, that he wants us to have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When you go to KFC, you expect fast food, polite service, and chicken. Now, by your response, you all know that someone recently went to KFC here and after meeting, waiting for more than an hour, were told they'd run out of chicken. And, well, you know the rest of the story, lah. If you don't, it's all over Facebook and YouTube. As far as polite service goes, they got a whacking instead. And reality didn't match their expectations. Whenever you start a new job, you have certain expectations. You're told roughly the kind of hours you'll need to work, the kind of people you'll be working with, the kind of demands will be placed on you, and, and the benefits that will be given to you. But sadly, we often find there is a mismatch between the expectations raised in the interview and the reality at work. You're told that you can knock off at five or six before you start, and that quickly becomes seven or eight or nine once you're in the job. You're told you'll travel occasionally when you start, and once you're in the job, occasionally becomes once or twice a week. But even more sadly, there are unscrupulous people who raise expectations for Christian living that are not only unrealistic, but unbiblical. Come to Christ, and all your problems will be solved. Come to Jesus, and he will make you rich. Jesus will make you happy. Your, your marriage problems will disappear. Your money problems will disappear. Your work problems will disappear. For in his presence, our problems disappear. But that is not what God promised. And when people become Christians on that basis, not submitting to Jesus as Lord, trusting him for salvation, they're looking for him as a problem solver. And when he doesn't deliver on what he never promised to deliver on in the first place, they give up and conclude that he is a fraud. When really, the frauds are the people who gave them the false expectations in his name. So what does the normal Christian life involve? What does Jesus promise you as his disciple? What should your expectations be as a follower of Christ? Now, there are many ways you could rightly answer that question. We can talk about growth and knowledge of God in Christ Jesus. We can talk about becoming more and more Christ-like in character. We could talk about a deeper and deeper realization of our own sinfulness and a greater and greater realization of God's majesty and holiness. And so a, a greater and greater appreciation of the cross that makes it possible for us to be accepted by him. We could talk about building relationships of love with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can talk about prayer and the privilege of coming before God in prayer. We could talk about hearing God's word from the Bible. We could talk about evangelism, all part of a normal Christian life. But there's one part of the normal Christian life we haven't yet mentioned, and that's one of those things that Jesus wants us to expect. One of those things that is part and parcel of belonging to Jesus. And that is hatred. 
Expect to be hated, Jesus says, by the world. You remember the context of the passage that we have just read. It is the night before Jesus is to be crucified. In a few hours, he's going to be arrested and tried. And in a few hours after that, he's going to be killed. Jesus has just eaten a meal with his disciples. And he's warned them that, that one of them is going to betray him. The betrayer has left the room, has gone off to bring the enemies of Jesus to him. And Jesus is speaking now to the rest of them. He's told them not to be troubled because he will send the Spirit to be with them. And when the Spirit is with them, then he is with them. And when he is with them, then the Father is with them. He's warned that they must abide in him. They must keep trusting in him if they are to be faithful. We've seen that over the last two weeks. And now he's clarifying their expectations about how they'll be treated by the world. He says to expect that the world will hate them. And yet before he tells them about the world's hatred, going back to verse 17, he commands them again, he reminds them again, he tells them again to love one another. Love one another. In fact, the whole paragraph from verse 12 to 17 is about loving one another because it's the context of love for one another that they will be strengthened to endure the hatred of the world. Well, the passage opens with three reasons Jesus gives why the world would hate the disciples. First of all, because it hated Jesus. Verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Hated me before it hated you. The world, society, the people, the establishment, the system was just about to kill Jesus. That's how much it hated him. And it would hate them. But they must love one another. Earlier that night, Jesus had told them that a servant is not greater than his master. He told them that in the context of washing their feet. If he's willing to wash their feet and he's the greatest of them, then they must be willing to wash each other's feet. But there's another application of that saying in verse 20. He says, remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep yours also. You see, here that, 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 that saying is, look, his disciples shouldn't expect to get a better deal than their master. Jesus had to suffer the hatred of the world. The disciples shouldn't think they're better than that or above that. The disciples shouldn't think that they are too important in God's economy for them to, to suffer persecution and hatred and, and death. No, 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 no. Jesus went through all that. He's the master. He's the greatest of them all. There's no way they would be exempted. And what about us? Do we think that we are so important in God's scheme of things that he couldn't possibly let us suffer persecution or, or hatred or death? Do you think that? Do you actually think that you're more important than Peter and Philip and Nathaniel and Andrew? And, do you really think that you're more important than Jesus? No, you don't really think that, do you? 
then you know that it's okay for you to be hated and persecuted and killed. A servant is no greater than his master. You're no important than they are. And God allowed it to happen to them. They hated Jesus. They hated his disciples. They will hate us. That is to be expected. But we must love one another. The second reason the world would hate the disciples is because they didn't belong to the world. Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You see, the disciples didn't belong. They didn't fit. They used to fit. They used to be part of the world. They used to fit in. Everything was okay back then. But three years with Jesus has changed it all. They don't fit anymore. They're not the same anymore. They have a different master. They have different goals. They have different purpose. They have a different view of God, of the world, of everything in it. They have a different standard of behavior, a different way of living. They are no longer of the world. If you were of the world, Jesus said, the world would love you as its own. There would be no problem. But I chose you out of the world. And therefore, the world hates you. Friends, we are not of the world anymore, are we? We used to be. And then Jesus chose us out of it. He, he made us his own. We belong to, to him, not, 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 not to them. We serve him, not, not whatever they serve. And people can't understand. They say, we're not like them anymore. We've changed. You've heard that from people in the world, haven't you? The world hated Jesus because he was different. The world hated the disciples because he chose them to be different. And the world will hate us because we are different. That is to be expected. But we must love one another. The third reason why the world would hate the disciples is because they don't know God. You see, when people hate the disciples, they will hate them in ignorance. Culpable ignorance, inexcusable ignorance, but, but ignorance none the same. Verse 21. If I had, but on a, sorry, verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. They, they do not know the Father. The people of Jesus' day did not know the Father, so they did not know Jesus. They hated Jesus. They hated his disciples. If they knew the Father, they would love Jesus. Because Jesus perfectly reveals the Father. And if they loved Jesus, then they would have loved his disciples. Now, the people that Jesus was first talking about, they, they had the Old Testament. They read the Old Testament, they studied the Old Testament, they memorized the Old Testament, but they didn't really understand the Old Testament because they didn't really believe the Old Testament because the God of the Old Testament is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament speaks again and again about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. But they hated him. 
because they didn't really know or love or believe the God who revealed himself to them in the Old Testament. It's scary, isn't it? You can have the Bible, but if you don't know Jesus and love Jesus to whom the Bible so clearly testifies, then you don't really belong to him. You, you belong to the world and you'll end up, end up hating his disciples. Now, these people were Jews. Not only did they have the Old Testament, they had the temple, the prayers, the sacrifices, the priests, the festivals, everything. If you looked at it from the outside, you would have thought that they belonged to God. How do you know that they don't belong to the Father? Well, that was exposed by the way they treated Jesus. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now... They have no excuse for their sin. Now, this doesn't mean that they weren't guilty of any sin at all. The sin they weren't guilty of was a sin of rejecting Jesus, isn't it? And that is the sin that sums up all sins. And so Jesus can say they wouldn't be guilty of sin. You see, to reject Jesus, to hate him, means hating the Father. Jesus says that in verse 23. He says, whoever hates me hates my Father also. And to hate God, that is the opposite of loving Him and thanking Him and glorifying Him, which is what we were created to do. Now every time we fail to do that, we, we sin implicitly. But when we reject Jesus, we sin explicitly. Whenever we sin in the usual way, we are expressing our rebellion against God. But when we reject Jesus, the perfect revelation of God... We say to God, I hate you, straight to his face. That is the sin that sums up all sins. The fact that human beings are naturally sinful means human beings naturally reject God. And that sinfulness is exposed and its guilt is proven by the way we treat Jesus. And the works of Jesus show beyond doubt who he is. There's no excuse for rejecting him. The Jews can say, oh, we didn't know he was from the Father. These works show it. They don't just show his authenticity, but they show his Father's character as well. Everything that Jesus did showed the Father. In seeing Jesus, they saw the Father. In rejecting Jesus, they rejected the Father. And so Jesus says in verse 24, If I had not done the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Friends, the world does not know God. They do not have a saving relationship with the Father. And so they hate Jesus and those who follow him. That is to be our expectation. That was Jesus' expectation based on the Old Testament. Jesus expected to be hatred, hated. And the world's hatred of Jesus was predicted. Verse 25. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. The quote there is either from Psalm 35, 19, in the psalm we read just now, or Psalm 69, verse 4. Uh, the phrase is in both those psalms. Hated me without cause. Both the psalms are psalms of David. Written by the Messiah, the King, the Anointed One of the Old Testament. And they are both prophetic and they both point forward to Christ. 
Because, see, David was a type of Christ. His life was a pattern which pointed forward to, to Jesus and his, Jesus, his descendant, the true king. And there were people who hated David, who betrayed David, who lied about David, who tried to destroy David, just like happened to Christ. And in these Psalms, he is crying out to God to save him and to bring him justice. And of his persecutors, he says, they hated me without cause. And this psalm finds its fulfillment on the lips of Jesus. Or oh, it's true of David, it's also true of Jesus to whom he pointed. The world's hatred of Jesus was a fulfillment of David's prophecy and his, 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 his type. And actually what is true here about Jesus is true of those who follow him. There will be people who will hate us without cause. Now, hatred without cause means hatred without a, a worthy reason, without justification. Sometimes we give people good cause to hate us, don't we? Right? That's not the kind of persecution that's referred to here. Sometimes we are insensitive, obnoxious, horrible people who deserve to be loved. That is not hatred without cause. But Jesus was never like that. And yet they still hated him. And if they hate us for no reason other than the fact that we are following and obeying Jesus, then that is hatred without cause. Now technically there's a cause. We're trying to be godly. We don't meet their expectations. We evangelize those whom they don't want us to or whatever. There's a cause, but it's not a good cause. Because we are simply following Jesus and his commands and he is Lord of all. No justifiable reason they should hate us in that way. They should hate us for doing evil. That will be a cause. But not for doing good. But they will. But we must love one another. But this doesn't mean that the disciples would just lie low. They would be hated, but they wouldn't be silenced. Because there's another expectation that Jesus wanted them to have, and that was the coming of the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, in order to rightly see how this applies to us, we must first remember who is Jesus talking to. He's talking to his first disciples here, isn't he? They are the ones whom we now know as the Apostles. They are the ones who, in verse 27, have been with him from the beginning. Uh, we haven't. That is why, in verse 27, again, they are able to bear witness. Right, in a way that we can't. That is, bearing witness in the New Testament is a technical term. It refers to being an eyewitness right, of a person or event that you can speak about. It. Say, I saw this. This happened. Right, this is, I was a witness of that. When Jesus says to his apostles they will be his witnesses, there's a special thing for them because they witness his life and death and resurrection. They saw it happen. We are not witnesses in the same way. We are beneficiaries of their witness. We are the ones who believe because of their witness. And what is Jesus saying to them? He will send them the helper. The paraclete. We'll look at that term more closely next week. He will send them the spirit who will also bear witness about Jesus. He is the one who can speak to the apostles about Jesus from 
God's point of view. Remember, he says, he is sent by Jesus. He proceeds from the Father. He is a witness to relationship between the Father and the Son from all eternity. He will bear witness and enable the apostles to understand and believe who Jesus really is. That he really comes from the Father. He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. He will speak about all who Jesus is and what he came to do. That's the Spirit will bear witness. And the apostles, they too will bear witness, speaking of his life and death and resurrection, what they have seen. And the Spirit, we will see next week, would lead them into all truth to make sure their witness was right. So that people like you and I will have the kind of witness we need to know Jesus and to trust in him. That expectation has been fulfilled. Because the witness of the Spirit and the witness of the apostles have been inscripturated in what we now know as the New Testament. In spite of opposition and the hatred of the world, the Spirit and the apostles will bear witness to Jesus. More about the Spirit next week. But what about us? We don't bear witness in the same way as the apostles did. That's been done. They have faithfully borne witness to Jesus in spite of opposition and hatred. But we pass on their witness in spite of opposition and hatred. The Spirit has borne witness through them about Jesus and the same Spirit uses us to pass the witness he bore through them. The disciples were hated but could not be silenced because the Spirit was at work in them and neither must we. Now, why is Jesus speaking all these kind of things to them about being hated and about bearing witness and all these things just before he is killed? He's wanting to make sure that they're not going to be caught by surprise, isn't it? He's wanting to make sure that they have their expectations right. He wants them to be sure that they're going to be hated. He says in 16 verse 1, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. If their expectations were wrong, if they thought that continuing to follow Jesus after his death and resurrection is going to be easy, if they thought that the hatred and persecution and opposition wasn't to be expected, then they would have been disappointed. They might have thought that God had abandoned them or that, that Jesus wasn't keeping his promise. Or that the Christian life, the life with the Spirit, wasn't all that it was made out to be. And then they'd be in danger of falling away. And so Jesus sets their expectations straight. I want you to know this, to stop you from falling away. Here's the expectation, verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. You will be kicked out, expelled. You lose your identity, lose your community. In danger of losing your life, verse 2. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. How perverse. They will think they are serving God by killing the disciples when actually they are showing their hatred of him. They will think that God will be pleased with what they do when really they are killing his servants. Why? Because they don't really know God. The God they are serving is not the true God. They think they know God, but the God that they know is not the God who has revealed himself in Christ. He's not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. They detest idolatry, but the God they worship is an idol. 
Verse 3, they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. They don't know God, even though they think they're serving him. And when all this happens, Jesus wants his disciples to remember that he warned them about it beforehand. He set their expectations straight. Verse 4, I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Friends, people in this world still do not know God. There are still many people in this world today who think they serve God, but the God whom they serve is a false one, because he is not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And persecution is still a normal thing for Christians. You know that an average of 171,000 Christians are martyred for their faith each year. That's about 19 and a half per hour. Eh? One hour since we started the service. 19 people martyred for Christ, if this has been an average hour. The world hates those who follow Jesus. On January the 2nd this year, a 26-year-old man named Zakaria Hussein Omar was decapitated in Somalia for converting to Christianity. If you look on the internet, you can see a photograph of the martyr's head here and his body here. They did not know the father, and so they hated the son, and they killed Zakaria. In Orissa and India, Hindu extremists have killed more than 100 Christians and forced 55,000 to leave their homes. The worst, of course, is North Korea, isn't it? The Christians are routinely beaten and tortured, imprisoned for life, mutilated, murdered, using the testing of biological or chemical weapons. Where punishment for being a Christian can include imprisonment or death, not just for the Christian, but for their mother, father, sisters, brothers, children and grandchildren as well. The world hates Christ and those who follow him. In Malaysia, we have things abnormally easy. But I have a friend who was kicked out of home when he became a Christian. His parents called the Hindu priest to come and have a funeral service for him. And they even, I don't know how they did it, but they even managed to get his obituary into the newspaper. He was hated. I have another friend whose family actually loves her, but because serving Jesus is her priority and he's more important to her than money or career, then they say that she's a big disappointment to them. And because they refuse to serve Jesus, they don't like the fact that she does, they are against it, what is at the very core of her existence. And so even though they love her, in another sense, they, they are, without realizing it, hating her. Another friend who can't go back to his home country because he follows Jesus. See, in that country, the authorities hate Jesus so much that if he went back, he'd be killed. Now, someone else who got bashed up physically here in KL simply because he's a disciple of Christ. Now, there are many people in our community who face hostility from families, especially uncles and aunties, because you don't participate in idol worship or ancestor worship because you follow Jesus. 
And then there's always the smug remarks and condescending comments because you don't engage in the kind of behavior, the lying, the cheating, the sexual immorality that the people in the world engage in. You're different. You're not of the world. And you're no longer fit. Friends, the Christian life involves persecution. It involves being hated by the world. Don't worry about it. Don't fear it. It's, it's normal. That is to be our expectation. But we are to love one another. We are to support one another in the midst of the hatred and persecution of the world. If we are hated, if we are persecuted, that is to be expected. If we are not hated, it could mean one of two things. Either we are not living distinctive Christian lives in the world, or we are being faithful and it's simply a bonus. If we're not being distinctive as a Christian, we'd better buck up. Abide in Christ and start bearing fruit. If it's a bonus, well, that's something to thank God for. Enjoy. Use of the maximum for evangelism. But don't expect it to last. Don't take it for granted. Don't think that's normal. The normal Christian life means hatred and persecution. After all, we follow a crucified Messiah, but a Master who loved us and gave his life for us. And so in the midst of the world that hates us, we are to love one another.